All right, we begin Parsha Shoftim, page 1024 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Um, and we are going to cover Perak Yitzayim Pasaches. But let's first begin, as we do every week, an overview of the whole Parsha, and then we'll delve into the Psukim and examine them from a textual standpoint using the Mepharshim, using the commentators. Parsha Shoftim begins, of course, with the obligation of establishing courts, courts of law. Uh, Shoftim is Shotrim, you have to have judges, you have to have those who execute the judgment, the policemen who enforce the judgment, I should say. And this is the obligation on judges. Judges can't take bribes. Judges have to pursue justice and so on. You're not allowed to plant an idolatrous tree next to the Mizbeach. What's the connection between a tree of idolatry and the Mizbeach? I think we studied that last year, the year before. But why are those psukim? Why is that in one pasuk? Why is it combined? The obligation, you're not allowed to bring a sacrifice. Asher Yebomum. Kol you can't bring a blemished animal as a sacrifice. That's called a toeva. That's called an abomination. There's a death penalty for an idol worshiper. If somebody worships idols within your midst, a pagan, you have to eliminate them. Then we have the rebellious leader, the rebellious elder. We're going to get into this ourselves. A person who violates the uh, conclusion of Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin of 71 that sat in the Mikbeis HaMikdash, who adjudicated law, established new law, developed law. One who violates their halachic conclusion uh, is called uh, is called the rebellious leader, rebellious elder, and uh, we'll see the consequences for such an individual. And then we have the Torah tells us what happens when you enter the land that God gave you that He promised you, the Amarta, and you will say, Asima alai melech, we want a king. Like all the nations that surround us, we've had a prophet, we've had a judge, and now we've matured. We're ready for a king. What's fascinating, it's not for our topic today, is if you look in our parsha, Torah anticipates and predicts that they're going to desire a king like all the other nations. What happens in Sefer Shmuel when the people come to Shmuel and say, we'd like a king like all the other nations? He doesn't say, oh, this confirms what the Torah anticipated. Instead, he chastises them. He rebukes them. He's critical of them. How could you want to be like everybody else? What are you coming to me for this? What's the matter with you? It's wrong of you. And so on and so forth. So a contrast of the uh, section of Sefer Shmuel in which Shmuel reacts to the request of the people for a king, contrasting it with our parsha, which the Torah anticipates that request and creates a melech, so, um, a mitzvah. Som tasim alecha melech, Hashem There's a mitzvah to place upon yourselves a king. If it's a mitzvah, why does Shmuel yell at them? And if it's wrong to do, why does the Torah endorse it as a mitzvah? What's going on there? So that's for another time. But the Torah tells us this king that you will have has certain limitations. A king is easily... Uh, feels a sense of arrogance and hubris. A king feels mighty and powerful. And therefore the Torah tells us he should not have too many horses, should not have too many women. Even Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of all men, fell prey to these temptations and these distractions. And, uh, and the Torah delineates the specific laws relevant to a king. Pasha Shotan then goes on and gives us the laws of, uh, of the priestly gift, what's given to the Kohen and to the Levi, what's separated and given to them. And then we have the laws of prophecy. What happens with a prophet in contrast to a, not a prophet, but somebody who's um, a false prophet, a, a sorcerer, a witch doctor, a magician? We have a prohibition. People who turn to all types of sorcery. These are violated today. Some of the superstition that has seeped into the Jewish people. Shech spoke about it last year when he was here. People who uh, open up Shechter thinks it's a violation of Menachish and Machashif and Ma'onin. 
people who open up uh, igros of different rebbes, people who open up uh, books and stick a letter and whatever whatever their question they open up to the says that's a violation of sorcery. You, you have to be tamim tiyem Hashem alakecha. It's with Hashem. Hashem is the only one who gives the answers. You're not supposed to turn to human beings. You're not supposed to believe in superstition. It's not a Jewish value. That's an Egyptian value. Hashem is supposed to take us out of Egypt, and He tried taking Egypt out of us. And we still struggle to have Egypt taken out of us at Ayamaza until today. So in any case, you have the prohibition against superstition. Kashbarhu sends his prophets, Navi Shem says, Don't listen to superstition. I'm sending you a mouthpiece. I'm sending you a Navi. He relays my will. He is the one who will enjoin you, and he is the one who will inspire you. Then we have towards the end of the Parsha, we have the cities of refuge, the halachas of the Ari Miklat. What happens if one kills by accident? And the Gaul Adam, the relative of the victim, is um, entitled to pursue you, to take revenge. You can flee to one of the Ari Miklat, three in the land of Israel, three Me'ever Ayardain. Why three Me'ever Ayardain? Reuven got in half of Menashe. Only two and a half tribes need as many cities of refuge as the other nine and a half tribes. Torah says yes, because there was a lot more um, accidental murder. Why was there more accidental murder? The Gemara doesn't say. Is manslaughter accidental? Manslaughter. Okay. What's wrong with accidental murder? Manslaughter. Accidental murder. There's a lot more of it. What's the difference between manslaughter and accidental murder? If the the, the tip of your axe flies off and kills somebody, why, why is... I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the difference between manslaughter and accidental murder. It's, it's built into the, the word itself. Manslaughter, but that implies with intent, premeditated. No, I don't. I don't know enough about law. But if it makes you happy, we'll call it manslaughter. Prisoner of violence, manslaughter. So why did two and a half tribes need as many Ari Miklat need as many cities of refuge as nine and a half? So I think the answer is Sefer Bamidbar. Why did they have their city set up east of the Jordan to begin with? Because Reuben got in half Menashe came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, "This beautiful land here, we can build beautiful businesses. We can build major manufacturing plants. We can grow our businesses. We can earn a tremendous amount of money here east of the Yarden." If you remember, Moshe very subtly rebukes them. They said, "We'll build factories. We'll build. We'll, we'll, we'll build barns for our animals and graze the land, and we'll also build homes for our children." When Moshe gives them permission, permission, Moshe reverses the order. Okay, I'll let you live there. You'll build homes for your children. And you'll build. Uh, you'll build barns for your animals and let them graze the land. He gives them subtle musr. What are your priorities in life? You see that there was a fault in Bnei Reuven, God, and half of Menashe that they prioritized material possessions. They prioritized their financial ambition. So perhaps the financial ambition is what leads when a person places a um, tremendous emphasis on the physical rather than the spiritual, it leads to taking the spiritual, it leads to taking life more lightly. And even though it's accidental, the murder is manslaughter, is not premeditated, it was accidental. As our parents always taught us when we were children, there are accidents that could be avoided. The more vigilant a person is in valuing the sanctity of life, the less accidents they are prone to. Uh, and so therefore, perhaps those two and a half tribes needed as many Ari Miklat. There's a lot to talk about in Ari Miklat. I think we talked a few years ago about it. Some of the rules, why is the, the person's... Uh, time in the Ermiklat is dependent on the lifespan of the Kohen, the mother of the Kohen Gadol who would bring gifts to those in the Ermiklat so they would not daven that the Kohen Gadol should die. Why is the Kohen Gadol responsible? Kohen Gadol's fault that some guy's top of his axe flew off, that he fell off the ladder and landed on someone and killed him. It's his fault. Some beautiful Mephoshim on this, but we don't have time for now.
Then we have uh, witnesses, the halachas of of uh, witnesses and Edom uh, Zomimim. And when the Jewish people go to war, the coin Hamashuach uh, Machama, who's anointed for war, the prohibition of cutting down a fruit tree, the overtures for peace one has to have, and of course the parsha ends with the Egla Arufa. What happens when a person dies and we don't know who their murderer is or we don't know the identity of the victim? We measure closeness to the city. And even, by the way, when you know which area, which it's, it's a Mises Sanhedrin, that they have to come out. And uh, it's the beginning of the first parak of Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin in Yushalayim, these great academics, they have to leave the Lishkas, they have to leave their office in the Beis Amikdash and come out and measure. Even when it's obvious which city it's closer to, the corpse, the victim, they have to measure anyway. Why that is? Again, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of Mepharshim. But today we turn to the Pesukim. We are going to analyze. It's Perak Yudzayin, Pasach Ches, chapter 17, verse number 8. Again, this doesn't appear to be a good break point, but as I said last week, from a Jewish perspective, we don't look at chapters. The chapters were instituted by the Christian editors during the time of the the time of the um, of the great debates where uh, in the medieval times and uh, therefore we don't use the chapters as delineating or necessarily even the aliyahs we looked at the psuchos and the stumos to see where the Torah has a natural break so here Paraches begins as follows this is a continuation of how the parsha began Parsha began by teaching us about the justice system. You have to place judges, you have to place police people in all of your land, in different, in different, um, you know, defining and dividing federal, state, county, different jurisdictions. So similarly in halacha, we have different levels of jurisdictions. So now we continue. The highest level of jurisdiction is not the local court, the the. Um, it, but rather is the high court. And what comes to the high court? So here the Torah is delineating that. This is a continuation of the opening theme of the Parsha. So Ki Palei Rashi says, what do you mean Ki Palei? What does the word Yi Palei mean? What does the word Yi Palei normally mean? What's a Pela? Pela dika thing. What is Pela? Um. The word Pela means a wonder. Yeah. It means a wonder. When something is wondrous, doubtful, when you're unsure, when it's a question, it's a peladika thing when you have a pella. It describes the Nazir who takes the vow of abstinence on himself. It takes its kipala. He uses the same word there. But it means something different there than it does here. Rashi says, What does it mean, kipala? Kol hafla lashon havdala uprisha. Shadavar nivdal umachusa mimcha. Hafla means separate and apart. So now I understand why the Nazir, the Rambam Sefer Hafla, the Nazir hafla means to be uh, distinct to be separate, right? The, the Nazir is, takes a vow of abstinence. But moreover, Rashi says, Shadavar Nivdal, it's separate, So why are we using the word separate here to describe when you have a question? Separate means it's separate from you. You don't have access to it. It's covered, it's concealed. You don't know the answer. So when you have a question, it's wondrous. What does wondrous mean? What is a wonder? A wonder or wondrous means that you don't know the answer. So the Torah is describing here that there's going to be difference of it, but you're going to have questions. There's going to be things that not the local court is not able to answer. Your local Rav or Posik are not able to answer. What's the process? What do you do? So what are the nature of the questions? What kind of questions might you have? So the Torah continues. Ki mimcha davar, when something is hidden or concealed from you, when you don't know the answer, 
And what is the nature of the question that you're going to have? La mishpat. It's a question of what the law is. Bein dam ladam between blood and blood. Bein din ladin between judgment, verdict and verdict. Bein negel nega between plague and plague, or blemish and blemish. Divrei rivos b'sha'arecha. There'll be matters of dispute in your cities. So what do you do? If it come to get up, the alisa, and go up. Whenever the Torah uses the term go up, where does it mean? Where does one go to? Up. Ascend El to the place that Akash Baruch Hu chose. Namely, where is the place that Akash Baruch Hu chose that you are to ascend to? Yerushalayim. So what does it mean that you have a wonder, something is concealed from you, you have a question that you don't have the answer to? And Beidam Ladam. Blood, verdict, blemish, dispute. What is all this talking about? So Rashi tells us. Beidam Ladam is Beidam Tome Ladam Tahor. Means that a woman who presents blood, and it's unclear if it's the color and the type of blood which changes her status to being a nida, you're not sure if it's dam tameh or dam tahor. What is din ladin? Says Rashi. Bein din zakai ladin chayev. It's unclear the verdict. Are you guilty or are you innocent? What is nega lenega? Nega tameh lenega tahor. It means negaim. It means, are you, you need to show the kohen, is this a nega, is this a blemish, that you become isolated or not? And what is Diveri Rivos? What does it mean? Says Rashi, there will be disputes. Diveri Rivos is a um, category that includes It means that your local Rabbanim, your local Batei Din are going to be disagreeing. Your local Batei Din don't have a conclusion. There's no conclusive position. Some say Chayev, some say Pater, some say Zakai, some say Tomei, uh, some say Tahor, some say Asr, some say Mutter. Divrei Revos means there are disputes among your local Rabbanim. So what do you do? You go to the Sanhedrin, you go to Yerushalayim, you go to the High Court, who will resolve the dispute and give you a conclusion, a conclusive position. Where did the Sanhedrin sit? In the Beis HaMikdash. The Tafyomi had, uh, here in Mesechus Brachos, we had recently that Where's the Kaddish Baruch Hu? Find me Shachar Beis Hamikdash. Since the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, the Kaddish Baruch Hu was found. That's why it's best for a person to daven in the place where they learn. It's best to daven in the Beis Medrash. Says the Gemara Brachos in the first parak, the end of the first parak. Why? Because Baruch Hu was found in the Beis Medrash. The Gemara quotes two Amoraim who would daven between the pillars. It means that's where they stood to learn. That's where they would daven. Best to daven in the Beis Medrash. Best to daven. Why? Mishachar of Beis Hamikdash. When the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, where is Hashem found in the Dalat Amos of Halacha? What does it mean the Dalat Amos of Halacha? So some of the Mefarshim explain the kedusha of the Beis Hamikdash. Rabbi Salavechik explained the kedusha, the sanctity of the Beis Hamikdash, certainly emanated from the fact that. Carbonos were brought there. Certainly emanated from the fact of the sacrifices. The religious and ritual significance of the Beis HaMikdash drove its holiness and sanctity and made it a place that was central to all of Jewish life. But that was only part of the equation. The other part of the equation, Beis HaMikdash was not only a place of religious experience, it was a place of intellectual experience. It's where the greatest Tamidei Chachamim, the greatest learners of the generation sat, the greatest teachers sat, the greatest academics, so to say, sat, who wrote and published Jewish law, who developed and adjudicated Jewish law. It's where the Sanhedrin met. So part of the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash was the holiness of the Sanhedrin. Once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, 
destroyed, it revealed which was the primary driver of the holiness of the Beis Amidash. Said the Rav, it was the Sanhedrin. It was the fact that the Sanhedrin sat there. And that's why Mishachar of Beis Amidash, when the Beis Amidash was destroyed, if you want to find Hashem, you know where He is now? Talad Amoshel Halacha, the Beis Medrash, where we continue to learn, and not just learn theory. But we continue to learn practical law, halacha, talat amashel halacha specifically. That's where Hakadosh Baruch Hu can be found today. That just like the shul becomes the mikdash maat in terms of the avodah shabalev, we don't have karbanos. But if we want to experience what does it mean to serve Hashem with our heart, you go to a shul as a mikdash maat. The base medrash is the mikdash maat in terms of the learning of halacha. So here the Rashi says, alisa, get up and go up. What does it mean to ascend? Where do you ascend? Shabbesamikdash Gavoa Mikola Kamakomos. Besamikdash is the highest of all of the places. Of all of the places. Now, Rashi explained what does Divrei Rivos mean? Rashi had explained you go to the Sanhedrin when you need to resolve conflict. What does Divrei Rivos what does it mean? Conflict? It means when your local rabbis can't figure it out. The local rabbis are debating. We don't know who's right. You take it to a higher authority. You go to the Sanhedrin. The Ramban disagrees. Look at the Ramban. Ramban Apasaches, Shuchach Meir Chalukim Bedavar, Zemetami Zemetar Zemachai Zemezakalosh and Rashi, Vidas Unklus. Rashi and Unklus say Divari Rivos means locally the disagreeing. Venenu Nachon says the Ramban, it's wrong. Amal Kfim Midrasha, according to the Sifri, what it means is Ben Dam, Dan Lina, Dan Yoladas, Dam Zava. What does it mean that they can distinguish between the blood? Blood is not blood. Different colors have different halachas. So there's the blood of a woman who's menstruating, there's the blood of a woman who has given birth, and there's blood of a woman who has a status of a zava. A zava is a different kind of emission. What does it mean that you're going to go to the high court who can distinguish between different types of din? It means between um, financial law, between capital law, and between makos, a lower type of punishment, of giving lashes. They can distinguish they are familiar with the laws of the home, a person, or clothing. doesn't mean, says the Ramban, when there's a disagreement between the rabbis, it means they know the issues which are the result of a riv, of a fight. What are the areas of Allah that are the result of a fight? Sota. What's the law of a sota? A man is suspicious of his wife. He sees her seclude herself. He warns her in front of witnesses, seclude yourself, don't ever seclude yourself again. She goes ahead, excuse me, and secludes herself again. We force her to drink the Mayim We make her drink the Mesota. So, Divrei Rivos Besharecha says the Ramban doesn't mean when there's a dispute between rabbis and you don't know who's right, you go to the Sanhedrin. Divrei Rivos means when there is a issue that arises because of a riv, there's a fight. Go up to the Beis Amikdash. What is an issue that results because of a fight that you're going to the Beis Amikdash? A sota. Where does the woman drink the Mayim Ma'ururim? The Beis Amikdash. It's the coin who gives it to her. Arifas Egla. Similarly, somebody dies. There's a murder that takes place. We don't know who murdered. We don't know the victim. What do you do? The Sanhedrin has to leave their office, leave the Beis Amikdash, and come and measure. And Taras and Mitzorah, similarly the process of the Mitzorah. Why did the Mitzorah become a Mitzorah? Also because of Divir Riros. What did the Mitzorah do? He spoke. Hello? What did the Mitzorah do? How does somebody become a Mitzorah? 
Motzi Ra, he spoke Lashon Hara. So the Ramban, you have to understand, fundamentally disagrees with Rashi. Rashi, and Rashi is quoting the, the same as Unklos here. Rashi says, what does it mean? The Ramban says, no it doesn't. It means the difference between the halachas of Dam that have to do with the Nida, Yoledis, or Azava. For Rashi, each of the juxtapositions in the Pasuk, each of the contrasts in the Pasuk, is the contrast within one law. Is it kosher or is it not kosher? Is it us or is it mutter? Is it tameh or is it tahor? Is it chayev or is it zakai? For Rashi, it's distinguishing within one law. For the Ramban, no it's not. The Ramban is basing himself on the Sifri. It's distinguishing different types of law. Bein dam adam doesn't mean tameh or tahor. It means dam of a nida, dam of a yoledus, or dam of a zava. For nega and nega, Rashi said meant meant distinguishes between nega tameh nega tahor. The Ramban says no. It means between the nega of a person, the nega of a home, or the nega of a of clothing. What did it mean? Din ladin zakai rechayev says the Ramban. No, din ladin means dinay mamanos or dinay nefashos or dinay makos. Divrei rivos disputes. Rashi said means when the rabbis can't decide. Says the Ramban. No, divrei rivos means those areas of halacha that are the result of conflict, namely sota egla arufa, where a person was motzira spoke lashnara and became a mitzara. So you see, the Ramban entirely interprets the pasuk differently. So the Ramban interprets, it doesn't mean Bain Dam Ladam between different types of Dam. He reinterprets Bain Dam Bidam. Don't use, use the base instead of a Lamed. It means between different categories of law. So the Ramban understands differently than Rashi what is the Pasuk referring to in describing the different types of law that are brought to the Sanhedrin. You go by the Sanhedrin. You go to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin are the one who decide. Look at the Sforno. That's what the Sforno says. How did you get to this point? So Esti, look at the Sforno. Pasuk ches ki palei mimcha. Afa pisha minisam ha-shofte b'cholir v'ir. You already appointed judges in every city. Kedesh ha-kol beizdin yishpor es iro. Every city deserves its own beizdin. And the beizdin of that jurisdiction of that city, they have jurisdiction, they have power over that city. Hinei, Says the Sforno, if a Suffolk comes up and you don't know what's the halacha, then you don't rely on your local Beisdin. Yeah, they have jurisdiction when there is clear halacha. Two people come, he lent me 50 bucks, I didn't pay him, I did pay him. His donkey ran into my donkey, we had a car accident. His uh, tree is growing onto my property and ruining my fence. When those kind of disputes, you go to your local Beisdin. But when there's a suffix that arises in halacha, in which it's unclear what's the halacha, not the application of the halacha, but it's unclear what is the halacha, says the Sforno, then you go to the Beisdin Agadol, v'chok shlo elu el elu. That's the halacha. Then you go to the... That, based on a gadol is the Sanhedrin. Yeah, you go to the based on a gadol. 71. Based on a gadol is 71. Yeah, yeah. It's 3, 23, 71. The opening long mission of Sanhedrin. Sometimes it's 5, Sevya, very unusual. Kiddush HaChodesh. Um, but it's, it's either 3, 23, or 71. Is it 70 or 71? The first is a machlokas in the Mishnah. When Moshe says the Zikanim, which were 70, was Moshe Ola Al Gabayim? Did it mean 70 and Moshe? 
or means they were equal to Moshe. Moshe was equal to the 70. That's a whole discussion in itself in, in Halacha. So that's what you're going to the base, and that's how the Ramban understands. Rav Shechter in a Sefer Eretz Hatzvi, in Simon Beis, the second uh, essay in Eretz Hatzvi, discusses this. And I want to relate it to you just because it is a beautiful connection between our Parsha and the Dafyomi. Dafyomi of just yesterday. Dafyomi yesterday dealt with the question of Kavad Habrios, the halacha of maintaining a person's dignity. When does maintaining another person's dignity supersede halacha? So the Mishnah there describes as the Gemara and Brachos, Dafyates, Amid Beis deals with the question, beginning on Amid Av, deals with the question of if someone's wearing shotness, you're at the mall, and all of a sudden you realize my shirt is a mixture of wool and linen, shotness. Do you have to take your shirt off even though you're going to be naked? You're going to be in your tachtonim. You're going to be in your underwear in the middle of the mall. It's a little bit embarrassing and humiliating, at least at the time of the Gemara it was. Today you'll look no different than most of the other people walking around the mall. So, um, but is covered abrios? What's the halacha? What supersedes what? Is the prohibition of shatnas more important so you have to take your clothing off? Or is the prohibition, as we say, Kavad Abrius, human dignity supersedes Allah, wait till you can get home and then you'll take the clothing off. So the Gemara there has a whole discussion back and forth. The Gemara ends up concluding that when Shevi al if you're doing something Shevi al if you're actively violating law, then Kavad Abrius is not Docha. But if you're passively violating law, then Kavad Abrius would Docha. So when you're wearing shotness, you're passively violating the law. Again, that's who was a discussion. Is wearing the shotness considered active or passive? But you're passively violating the law by continuing to wear it. So you continue to wear it. You don't have to take it off. So the Gemara says, Oh, you see from here that Kavad Abrius supersedes Halacha. So the Gemara says, No, why? So you should learn from here. No, you don't learn iser from. And the Gemara brings five examples of trying to learn kavod abrius. And the Gemara says you can't extrapolate. You can't learn from isura You can't learn from a case of financial loss to a case of isura to the rest of to the rest of Torah. What is this concept isura mimamona Why can't I learn from one category of Jewish law to another? Who says there are different categories of Jewish law? If that's the law when it comes to mamon, when it comes to financial matters, why should that be the law when it comes to iser, when it comes to what we call iser v'hetar, religious matters? You also have Yavamas Kuf Gimel. The Gemara there asks, V'ligmor mina, why don't we learn? No, iser mituma lo gamrinan. If there's a particular law when it comes to tumah v'tara, the laws of contamination purity, we cannot extrapolate from there and project onto isura, onto religious life. Where did we get this concept of different categories that you can't learn from one and apply to the other? That's what Rav Shechter wonders in this essay. So if Schechter quotes, and it's worth looking at the whole thing yourself, but he says, based on a gra, you learn it from our parsha. Where did Chachamim learn that all of Jewish law falls into three categories? And the rules of one category don't, know, don't necessarily apply to the other? They learn from our parsha. The Gra of Elio, Kramer of Vilna, the great Vilna Gon and Sefer Adel Elio, The Torah has six kind of categories: Tahor v'Tamei, Asar u'Muter, Chayav u'Zakai, Ben Dam l'Din who Asar u'Muter, Kedel Atar Isha l'Abayla, Ben Din l'Din who Chayav v'Zakai, Ben Negel l'Negel who Tahor v'Tamei v'Tahor. That's the Grah. And this is the origin of the idea that we have three distinct areas of Jewish law. So we do not say there's one major category called halacha, all of Jewish law. And whatever the rules are within this area, apply 
universally. There are no universals. We have three distinct categories of Jewish law. We have Isra, we have what's called Isr Beheter, we have what's called Mamon, Mamona, and we have what's called Tumavatara. And the rules of one don't necessarily apply to the other. What about Nida? He has here in a footnote, he quotes from Yosef Engel, an Asvin Dalraiser of Shechter, in footnote 3, who says, Anida, there's two aspects to the Nida. On the one hand is the Iser Labayla, when a woman becomes a Nida, when she menstruates and is considered to be impure, she's forbidden from having intimacy with her husband. And on the other hand, there's the normal rules of Tumavatara. She's Tameya. If she touches something, it becomes Tameh. She has to undergo a process of becoming Tor. So is Nida in the category of Iser Vehater? As she relates to her husband, that's a question of Iser Vehater, religious life. Or is she in the category of Tumavatara? Because she also has, if she touches something, it becomes Tameh, she has to become pure and so on. Which category is she in? Maybe she's in both. Maybe she has two categories. It's an interesting question. Asvin Doraisa, Yosef Engel. Anyway, back to our Parsha. I, re- I relate that only because it connects to yesterday's Dafyomi and the Parsha. We try to stick with the Mephoshim in the Mikros Gedolos. So again, a, quite, a fundamental difference between Rashi and the Ramban, how to read the Pasuk. Is the Pasuk describing distinctions within a category or is it distinguishing between categories? That's a machlokas between Rashi and the Ramban. But continuing, Pasuk test. So what do you do? You come to the Kohenim and the Levim and the Shofet, the judges in your day, and they learn and they they teach you the Dvar Mishpat. They teach you the rule. Says Rashi, I don't know why Rashi needed to teach me that. What are the Kohenim are there? Do we have Kohenim who come from Reuven or Shimon? Do we have Kohenim who come from Yisach or Zvulun? Which Kohenim do you go to? The ones who came from Shevet Levi. Rashi is explaining. What does it mean? Hakonim Halavim. It says you come to Hakonim Halavim. The real question is on the Torah, not on Rashi. You go to the Kohenim Halavim. Rashi says, what does it mean? Hakonim Halavim. The Kohenim who come from the tribe of Levi. Why the Torah needs to tell me that? I know Kohanim come from the tribe of Levim. Anyway, the Pasuk continues, And you go to the judge in that day. Now the obvious question is, what am I going to go in my time machine and go back to the Grah? Am I going to go in my time machine and go back to the Rajba and the Ritva and the Rashi and the Ramban and the Ran? Am I going in my time machine and go back to Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Meir? Of course, what are the shofei can I go to? Of course, it means the judge in my time. So Rashi quotes the Gemara Rashi and Daf Chafei. Afilo ena kashar shoftim shayu lefanov at atzarich lashmolo ein lecha ela shofei shebiyamecha. Rashi says a very important principle, a principle that I appreciate deeply. What is it? You might say, I'm going to go to my rabbi and ask a shayla today. My rabbi is a he's a moron. My rabbi is an ignoramus. My rabbi is a nothing. Oh, the rabbi when I was growing up, he knew something. The rabbi from my childhood, oh, he was a gewaldige Talmud Chacham, my rabbi from Europe, my rabbi from the Lower East Side, my rabbi from, from Newark, he knew something. This young kid from Yeshiva University, I'm going to go ask him. <laughs> so it says Rashi, according to Gemara Rosh Hashanah, Ein lecha shofet mecha. The Gemara there actually has a further language. It says, Yiftach bedoro, kishmuel bedoro. Yiftach Bedor Kishmo Bedoro. If you learn Sefer Shoftim, it tells us the story of Yiftach. Yiftach, who was Ben Isha Zona, Yiftach, whose mother was a Zona. Okay, the Radak says it means innkeeper. But we know what a Zona means. So his brothers dispel him, throw him out, and then he joins a gang. He goes to a place called Tov, he joins a gang, he becomes their leader. They then fight with Amon, so the brothers say, we need him back. They go and recruit him. 
They want to make him the katsin, an officer. They don't even give him the distinction of being the shofate. He says, what are you coming to me now? You need me? You're not even calling me the shofate? Fine, we'll throw it in. You can become the shofate. Yiftach makes a neder. Whoever leaves my home first, I'll offer as a sacrifice. He ends up defeating Ammon. And who comes out first? His daughter. He's too proud to go to Pinchas, who's the head of the Sanhedrin, to annul the vow. Pinchas is too proud to go to him. And therefore the daughter lives the rest of her life in seclusion, in fulfillment of the vow. Yiftach is not much of a leader. Yiftach is a very weak excuse for a leader. But says the Gemara, Yiftach Bedoro, Kishmul Bedoro. Shmuel is among our greatest leaders. So those who live in the generation of Yiftach have to relate to Yiftach as though he's the Shmuel of the generation. Yiftach Bedoro, Kishmul Bedoro. So uh, Rav Shechter, when he references this Gemara, loves to quote a Yiddish joke. The Pasuk says, it's a takeoff on the Pasuk. Yiftach Bedoro, Kishmul Bedoro. Yeah, Yiftach in his generation is the Shmuel of his generation. But v'chiyiftach ish bor, Pasuk says, it's a, it's a takeoff. Pasuk Yipashat Mishpatim says, k'yiftach ish bor, if a person digs a hole, you're liable if someone trips in the hole. But a way, another way of reason, reading the Pasuk, k'yiftach ish bor, what's a bor? A bor is a amaretz. So, v'chiyiftach ish bor, yiftach bedoro kishmu bedoro. But before you get carried away, yiftach was also a Talmud Chacham. Chiyiftach ish bor, you think he was a bor? He was a Talmud Chacham. So your local rabbi, even if he's a young schnook from Tinek, New Jersey, graduated from university, and really he's an Amaretz, Nebuch. First of all, the, the Sefer Musar Navim writes, if you have a weak leader, it means that you're an undeserving generation. The leader, Kosh Baruch Hu, Hashkacha, Hashkach Baruch Hu appoints leaders that are befitting for that people, for that generation. So if your leader is nothing too impressive, it means that you're not too impressive. So before you're so critical of the leader, look in the mirror and realize, had you been worthy of Rav Moshe Feinstein being your Rav, Rabbi Salavechik being your Rav, if you were worthy of the Chazanisha's your Rav, you would have had the Chazanisha, the Rav. If you have some young kid, it means that's all you're worthy for. So, Ein Lecha Shofet Shabi Yamecha, that's what the Pazak means. Higidu Lecha, uh, it means Asher uh, You go to the judge who's in your day means you have to relate to the judge of your day with the utmost respect because he is your he is your rav. Continuing. You have to do according to what they tell you from that place. You see that what is the driving force? What empowers them? What entitles them to be able to be the authority? Because they are sitting in the, in the base of Mekdash. Why did the Sanhedrin sit in the base of Mekdash? What do we believe about when they were developing Jewish law and f- hearing disputes? They had, they had a certain level of hashkacha, of, um, of hashkacha, of siyata deshmaya. The halacha is that when a dayan is sitting in judgment, this is true even today. When a Bezdin is sitting hearing a case, the Allah is looking Khosh and Mishpat, they require Atifas Arash. Their head has to be covered. Why Atifas Arash? Why does their head have to be covered? Not just the Yamaka, Atifa, what we call like a talus over your head. They have to wear a hat. Why? Because the, sh- the Shechina is Shruya. We believe the Shechina comes when a Bezdin is sitting. We also had this in the Dafyomi. You might have thought that, that being a Bezdin, that doing um, a Din Torah is Bittal Torah. Says the Gemara, no, Din Torah is also Torah He. You might have thought Din Torah is different than Kriya Shema. No, Diana, we're sitting doing a Din Torah. It's not Bittal Torah, it's also Torah. Why? Because there's Hashras Hashchina. Kriyashbar who comes, His divine presence can be found by those who are deciding law. 
um, and helping them, offering divine inspiration when they're deciding that law. So you see, Asisa Piyadavar, you should do what they tell you, Mina Makom, and where are they telling it to you from? The base of Mikdash. And be careful, safeguard to do everything they are teaching you. That word, Yorucha, is the same word as Torah. The root of the word Torah, Yorucha, means everything they teach you. According to the Torah, they teach you. And according to the Mishpat, they tell you, you should do. Do not deviate from what they tell you, neither right nor left. What do you learn from here? Do not deviate from what they tell you, neither right or left. Yesterday's Dafyomi also. Rashi. Even if the Sanhedrin tells you your right is left and your left is right, you know they're wrong. They're telling you right is left and left is right. You have to listen. All the more when they get it right. Even when they get it wrong, you're bound by their word. You have to listen. Certainly when they get it right, you have to listen. Now, we'll get back to a moment. This Sifri, Rashi's quoting, I have to listen to them when they get it wrong? Yeah. We'll get back to that in a moment. But before we get to that, yesterday's Tafyomi, uh, you have this. This is the origin of the halacha. This is the origin of all rabbinic law. We have biblical law, mitzvahs daraisa, all of rabbinic law, all of Halacha that I've learned, Gezeros and Takanas that are Midarabanan, we learn from this Pasuk of Losasam and Adavashir Yagidulacha Yamin Usmal. Rashi, the Rimagash, and the Rambam all learn that if you violate a mitzvah de Rabbanan, you have violated this love of Losasar. So if the Rabbanan come along and they tell you, you're not allowed to do this on Shabbos, or you have to do this on Hanukkah, a mitzvah de Rabbanan is essentially a mitzvah de Raisa. Why? Because the rabbis are empowered with the ability to decide law through that act of empowerment that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them. He empowered them to give you their rabbinic law. So the Rashi, the Rimagash, the Rambam all learn. Rashi in, in Brachos, Daf Yutes, yesterday's Daf, the Rimagash in his Tshuva, Simen Kuf Mem Ches, and the Rambam in Sefer HaMetzvah, Shurish Aleph. And as well, Hukos Mamran Pelagav Halacha Beis all learn that we see from Losasur mitzvahs deoraisa. The Ramban in his Hasagos, the Ramban in his commentary on the Rambam Sefer Mitzvahs in that Shurish Aleph disagrees that if you violate rabbinic law, you have not violated an Isser Torah. You have not violated a lav. If you violate rabbinic law, you have not violated a lav. It's a machlokas. Where does the Ramban bring his proof? The Ramban asks a number of questions. The Ramban says, what do you mean? We have a principle that Safik Durabanan Lahakil, Safik Duraisa Lahachmir. When you have doubt on a mitzvah that's biblical, whether you did it or not, what do we do? You go le chumrah, you're stringent. And when you have doubt on a mitzvah Durabanan on rabbinic law, what's the halacha? You go Lakula, you're lenient. Says the Ramban to the Rambam, if all of rabbinic law is in essence biblical, because of Losasur, so doubt in rabbinic law you should be strict also. That's the Ramban's question on the Rambam. Among other questions he asks. Mm. Among other questions he asks. So what's an answer? So the Megillus Esther, which is a commentary in the Rambam, and the Shev Shmaisisa, in Shmaisisa Aleph Perak Gimel, give the following answer. Who says that the principle of Safi Doraisa Lechumra and Safi Dorabanan Lekula is a Din Doraisa? Maybe that principle itself is a dindarabanan. And indeed, the Shev Shemaisah suggests that the Rambam holds that the principle of Savik Daraisa Lachumra is a dindarabanan. 
So, Midoraisa, this is a little bit confusing, if you don't understand, don't worry about it. On a biblical level, if you're unsure if you did the biblical mitzvah, you'd also go lenient. Why are we strict in a biblical law when you're doubtful? That's a rabbinic law. So since that's a rabbinic law, they said, on a biblical law, be strict, on our laws, be lenient. You're right. You're right. Had that been a biblical law, it would have been a question that all rabbinic law is basically biblical. But because that law in and of itself is rabbinic, the rabbis were entitled to decide when to apply that law. The rabbi will have to answer, is in itself only a din And that's why you go, Whereas the Ramban will say, is a din not a din Anyway, that's just a little bit. Our Pasuk in this morning's Parsha, this week's Parsha, is the origin of Rabbinic law. That means the Rabbanan, when you, when you follow Rabbinic law, according to the Rambam, Mashiri Megash, you are following a biblical law. The Ramban is going to learn it's an Asmachta. Meaning our Pasuk, means really it's only, it's only binding Midrabanan. It's an Asmachta, it's a loose reference. Where did the Ramban get that from? Yesterday's daf. Brachos Yotesam and Beis. The Gemara there uses a Lashon. That's the Gemara's Lashon yesterday's daf. Yotesam and Beis Brachos. All of Rabbinic law. We associate with Losasur. doesn't mean it's biblical, says the Ramban. It means we associate with. It's a biblical allusion. It's a reference. But the Rashi, the Rimagash, and the Rabbim say, no, it's the origin. Rabbinic law is biblical law. But come back to this Rashi. This Rashi is deeply troubling. This Rashi is deeply troubling. Rashi again quotes from the Sifri that the rabbis tell you, based in Sanhedrin Paskins, that it's daytime when it's nighttime, or it's nighttime when it's daytime. They tell you left is right and right is left. They're wrong. They are wrong. Nevertheless, you have to follow what they say. It's deeply troubling. How could the Torah place the power of Bezdin above the power of the Torah itself? Torah tells me I can't eat meat and milk. Let's say Bezdin looks at that mixture of meat and milk and says, that mixture you can have. But I know it's meat and milk. Torah here says, Listen to them and eat the mixture even though they tell you you can't. The Barbanel says, this question is so compelling that it leaves the Abarbanel and others to understand that this law of Losasur doesn't apply when they're wrong. It applies when it appears they're wrong. It applies when they appear they're wrong. But if you know they're wrong, then you don't follow them. Halacha of the Torah supersedes their words if you know they're wrong. It's only when it appears they're wrong you have to go with them anyway. And in truth, if you look back at the original Sifri, you'll see that Rashi editorialized it. The original wording of the Sifri includes the words, Nirin Lecha. It appears to you that they're wrong. When it appears to you that they're wrong, then you have to follow them. But if they are actually wrong, then you don't follow them. That's how the Abarbanel will explain the, the, uh, the Sifri. But the bottom line is, on the simple level, Rashi intentionally omitted the words Niran Lecha. Because Rashi, it seems, and this is the way most understand Rashi, Rashi believes, even when you know they're wrong, when the rabbis are wrong, they're looking at that meat and milk mixture telling you, you know, es mein Kinder, eat, it's good, it's good for you, that you're allowed to listen to them. And again, the, and that's the way the Ramban, if you look at our Ramban here, he quotes Rashi, and he asks on Rashi, how could Rashi possibly say that you follow the rabbis when you know they're wrong? And the Ran asks similarly. Now you can easily resolve the question if you say, the Torah is a list of arbitrary rules to follow. God says, here's a list of arbitrary random laws to follow. And I'm empowering the rabbis to tell you there are exceptions. 
So even when the rabbis are wrong, put their rule before mine, because the whole idea is discipline and self-control. And as long as you are exhibiting discipline and self-control, I don't care if you're following their law, their law my law, I've been giving you the power. Really, it's arbitrary. The problem with that answer is, we don't believe that. We believe in Tameh mitzvos. We believe there's meaning, there's purpose, there's reason to the mitzvos that we do. The Ran puts it as follows. We know that when you eat food, which is non-kosher, Kashras is not just arbitrary, but Kashras is, the Ramban uses this Lashon, it's Matamte Mesalev. If you eat something non-kosher, kosher, it has a negative spiritual impact on your, on your soul. You're not just eating something you shouldn't be eating. You're eating something that, that has a negative, it contaminates you. It has a negative impact on you. So ask the Ran, I don't understand. If eating meat and milk is metamte mesalev, has a negative spiritual toxic impact on my system, then just because the rabbi said I could have that meat and milk, I'm allowed to have that negative toxic impact on my system? It doesn't make sense. Why should I follow them when they're wrong? Aren't the rules of the Torah, aren't Hashem's rules binding? Aren't they authoritative? Aren't they more important? Why should I follow... Why should I follow the Sosim and Adavashigitmo? So the Ran Rabbeinu Nisim of Gorona, Spain, of Gorona the Rabbeinu Nisim in the fourteenth century, thirteenth century rather, I'm sorry, in his Drushas, Drushas Haran says the following very beautiful idea. The Ran says you forgot one thing. In the question you're asking all about law. God says this is the law, and the rabbis tell you that's the law, and they're wrong. Whose law do you follow? Says Dran, you forgot something very important. It's not just about law. What's it about? It's about a relationship. And relationships, sometimes even when you don't understand what the other party wants, what's important is that you do it. So, every Sunday night and every Wednesday night, my wife says to me, put the garbage out tonight. <laughs> and I say, I can put it out in the morning. Says so you put it out in the morning, you're going to miss it. Please put it out tonight. I'm not going to be able to sleep. We're going to miss the garbage. It's going to back up. You got to take the garbage out. I say, honey, I've never missed it. You always say we're going to miss it, and I always get it out, and it's not a problem. She says, I don't care if you don't understand. It seems irrational. I'm asking you to do it. So I'm faced with a choice at that moment. I can insist she's wrong. I'm right. I'm going to sleep. And then the bottom line is, the likelihood is, the next night I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. <laughs> or, or I could decide, you know what, it doesn't matter if she's wrong. What matters is she's asking me to do it. And if she's asking me to do it, I show my commitment, my loyalty, my fidelity, my love, my affection by doing it, especially when I think it makes no sense and it's wrong. Says the Ram, that's what's going on here. God says, God says, the rabbis are my mouthpiece. The rabbis are telling you my needs. They're wrong. It looks like they're wrong. There's meat and milk in front of you. It looks like they're wrong. But listen to them anyway. Because when you're willing to listen to my mouthpiece, especially when it seems that they're wrong, that's when you show the greatest loyalty to me. It's about a relationship. It's about a commitment. God, a test of commitment is our ability to follow His will as expressed now through the rabbis, despite our feeling it's inconsistent with Torah reality. It's not consistent with reality. I get the garbage out every Monday and Thursday. Why do I have to get out of bed on Sunday night and Wednesday night? It's inconsistent with reality. It doesn't matter. If I'm committed to doing it anyway, that's what will contribute to the relationship. That's how the Ran understands what Rashi is saying here. In Los Sosram and Adavashi, the origin of 
rabbinic law. By the way, the Rambam writes, it's this Pasuk which gives us license. Every time we do a mitzvah de Rabbanan, he's referencing really a Gemara, but when I light Hanukkah candles, I say, Hashem Kedeshano b'mitzvosav, Mitzivanu. When I lay in the Megillah on Esther, on Purim, I say, Where did God command me to read the Megillah? Where did God command me to light the menorah? He did. He commanded me to listen to the rabbis, and the rabbis told me to read the Megillah, and to light the Hanukkah candles, and so on, and so forth. Continuing, Viter. There's a lot more to say. I wanted to read the Ramban here, and the Orachayim, but we're going to be out of time. Viter. Pasuk Yud Gimel. Yud Beis, sorry. Ha'isha sheyasa bezadon levelti shmuel ha'konim ha'omid l'shoresham es Hashem al-kecha o'ala shofetu meisa isha hu uviyarta ra mi'yisrael. So here's where you have the case of the Zakin Mamre, the rebellious elder, a member of the Sanhedrin, who says, okay, you know what, we had a big debate what the halacha should be, and we followed the majority in the Sanhedrin, but I know I'm right, and I am a minority on the vote, the guy who's unwilling, the rabbi, the person who's unwilling to go with the consensus is put to death. He's put to death. It is a capital punishment not to go with consensus. When you're on a committee and it's a democracy and the majority rules, you have to abide by the decision of that group. But for you to go out for this rav, for this post, like this member of the Sanhedrin, to leave the Sanhedrin and say, yes, the Sanhedrin paskined A, but I insist as I did in our deliberations that B is right, and that's what I'm paskining for my community... He's a Zakin Mamre. He's rebellious. And because it's such a violation and disruption of correct and proper process, he's put to death. And everyone will see. And they shall not sin any further. Says... Uh, when someone is liable for death, when do we uh, when do we execute him? Gemara Sanhedrin learns we from our pasuk. When will the whole nation hear? On a random Tuesday in uh, November, the whole nation's not going to hear. When will they hear? When they're in Yerushalayim. When will they be in Yerushalayim? On Yantif. On the Shalash Regalim. So that's when the Zakin Mamre is put to death on the Shalash Regalim when they will come for the Regal. Says the Sforno, This is the individual Bizadon. He intentionally paskins inconsistent with the Bezdan Agadol. Who may Saisha, who says the Sforno, Api Bezdan Agadol. Who Bezekolam Yishmu Viro. Bezdan will paskin that he has violated, he has gone out on his own, he's rogue. And therefore, it destroys process. When you ruin process of democracy, it undermines the entire system. And because it, it stands to undermine the system, it is such a strong reaction, he is put to death. We'll end here. Have a fantastic week and a good chat.